Hello, workplace wellness champions. Welcome to episode nine of the Virtual Vibe podcast, where we discuss HR strategies for a happy, healthy, and connected workforce in a work from home world. My name is David Howe. I'm the CEO at Bright Breaks and the host of the Virtual Vibe podcast. And today I'm very excited to chat with Emily Brunel. Emily is the manager of employee engagement and communications at Bloomerang, which is a donor management fundraising software. So welcome, Emily. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to chat. We were just chatting before we started about my background. Is it real or not? <laughs> it is indeed real. So this is kind of downtown Halifax, Nova Scotia. I figured out after episode nine, no one asked. So here we are finally <laughs> getting to the bottom of the hard questions. <laughs> so Emily, I'm excited to chat. You know, we've known each other for a little over a year now with Bloomerang. So would love to just start off by learning about who you are and kind of what your role is and maybe a little more on Bloomerang as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for having me. It's really exciting. Like you said, I'm our employee engagement manager. So I manage all of our internal communications as well as our engagement opportunities. And that includes anything from culture events to helping out with our various clubs and committees. I chair our culture committee and I manage all of our engagement metrics as well through employee surveying, employee engagement surveys and things like that. So I wear a lot of hats, but engagement kind of sums it up. Yeah. Awesome. And... Can you just walk us through a little bit like of the team today? So how how big, kind of what is the work structure for the team? Yeah, absolutely. So we have, I was just looking at it today, we have 356 employees. We're distributed across North America. So we've got employees in the US and in Canada, every coast, every time zone all over the place. I think our largest concentration of employees is still Indianapolis, which is where Bloomerang is headquartered but not by a lot. I think the last time we looked at it, it was maybe, it's very close to 50-50. So we do have an office space in Indy for people who want to come, but we are a fully remote first organization. We accommodate our remote folks. They're our first priority and the people who want to go into the Indy office can, but it's definitely not a requirement and it's not as common. And was that always the case? Like, did you start remote first or that did that transition over the last couple of years? Yeah, that was a huge transition for us. So kind of a hallmark of Bloomerang was that they were all co-located. They were all in Indianapolis in the office every day. And then that started to change when Bloomerang acquired a donor CRM in Nashville called Kindful. Then we were mainly split between Nashville and Indy. And then once the pandemic hit, we realized, you know, we're not all co-located anymore. This is really the direction that things are moving. We need to jump on board and start hiring nationally. And that happened really quickly. So no, it was not always that way. It's a transition that we've been making for the last three years. And now we're solidly in the remote first category. Yeah. And with the, the Kindful acquisition, how big was each team at the time when you kind of joined forces? Yeah, that's a good question. So Bloomerang, I want to say was like 120. And Kindful was still really tiny, only about 60 employees. So overnight, Bloomerang went from about 120 to almost 200. And we've been really growing at a clip since then. We've hired over 100 people just in 2023. So growing quickly. Yeah, that's really rapid growth. And were you with the team when the Kindful acquisition happened? Yeah. So I was actually with Kindful. I came from Kindful. 
I started there in 2019 and then we were acquired in January of 2021. So I have kind of a unique experience and perspective being the acquiree in that situation. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. I didn't know there was so much growth over the last year. That's pretty huge. And I'm sure a little bit of being a remote first company also helps attract some good talent. So in terms of wellness specifically, I know obviously that is a value at Bloomerang. So why why is it a value and why is it important? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that a lot of companies are focusing more on employee wellness now. It's kind of zeitgeisty and it's a really common buzzword among companies, you know, how they're investing in employee wellness and employee mental health. And I think that's great. But I think Bloomerang is unique in that we exist to serve nonprofits. Those are our customers. And we have to help them achieve their missions. So things like wellness and well-being and health and mental health, those are all things that hit really close to home for us because of the work we do, because so many of our customers are committed to that work as well. And it's also really essential that our employees are getting what they need in regards to employee wellness, because we have really important nonprofit organizations that rely on us to do really essential work in the world. So if we aren't at our best, we're not going to be able to show up for them in the way that they need us. And so I think that's an added layer of why it's so important at Bloomerang specifically to keep tabs on employee wellness, get ahead of it, and make sure that our employees have what they need for their mental health, their physical health, their emotional health, their social health. Where does that come from? Because I think a lot of companies... It makes sense, right? And it's it's kind of obvious, like if your people are 100%, then you know they're going to be able to perform 100%. But not all companies have that built into the DNA. And it sounds like Bloomerang does. Do you know, is that coming from where? Is it is it leadership? Is it something that was established early on in the DNA? I think so. I think because Bloomerang was founded on this idea that donor retention could be better, that people who are making one-time gifts to organizations should be converted into recurring donors, that that potential was lost in the nonprofit world. And that's why our founder created Bloomerang is to convert those one-time donors into recurring donors to help nonprofits raise more money and make a bigger impact. And so because the very first motivation was how can we help nonprofits make an impact and do good in the world. I think that desire to make sure that we can follow through on those promises is really ingrained in who we are. And we can't do that if we're burnt out. We can't do that if we're not physically and emotionally well. And I think that all organizations can find a why. Like, why is it essential that we focus on wellness? But I think specifically Bloomerang's why is so big. Like, we need to show up for these nonprofits so they can literally put clothes on children's backs in some situations. And I think that gives us that extra oomph, that extra desire to make sure that our employees can perform at their best so that these nonprofits can do the best work that they can. Yeah, I love that. I mean, even us at at Bright Breaks, our team talks about it sometimes where it is really fun and Bloomerang obviously has, has this to work at a company or with a product that actually does have a positive impact because Sometimes we we joke about doing things around gamification or different things to get people to actually take wellness breaks on our product. And we said the worst case is, you know, they actually take a break, which is good for them. And we think, what would it be like to work at like a big social media company where your job is really getting eyeballs on the screens to drive more ad dollars? 
same as Bloomerang. You're the work that you're doing, the software you're building, everything's going towards these nonprofits, which are obviously doing good things in the world. So side note, but I think that's really cool. And um, again, probably a reason why you're attracting so much talent. So with the team across Canada and the US in the kind of physical location and then a lot of folks remote, how do you balance wellness for those remote versus the on-site team? Yeah, great question. We're a remote first organization. So everything that we do, even though we do have that office space available to employees in Indianapolis, everything that we do is tailored to and designed to serve people who are not in Indy, who are fully remote. And it's important to mention that even our indie folks are mainly remote. They might come to the office a few times a week to either just get that social interaction or get a quiet space, you know, away from kids and roommates and things like that. But even our indie folks are remote first. There's no requirement or expectation that they're ever in the office. So every wellness initiative, any engagement initiative in general that we design is always with remote work as the priority and the focus. That being said, we do still offer opportunities for people specifically in Indy who want the in-person social interaction to be an element. So for example, we have in the past paid the registration fees for the Indianapolis Half Marathon if employees want to walk that or run it. Another element of wellness, you know, mental wellness, social wellness. We also do an annual Friendsgiving every year where the company breaks into groups to share a lunch together. That's usually virtual, but this year we're offering an in-person option for our people in Indianapolis. So definitely always start with our remote folks in mind, but then find ways to make sure that the people in Indy have an in-person option if that's something they're interested in. It's bold in a way, but really defining it as remote first, because I think a lot of companies stuck around in that like hybrid kind of awkward stage for a while where we had, we wanted people here and there. And now I'm seeing the separation of there's companies that are going in this direction, which is remote first, and there's companies that are going back to the office. Obviously, there's still some flexibility with the office work for a lot of companies. But one thing I've been hearing, and, and I'm curious to hear your opinion on it, is the remote first companies are really getting a lot of talent applying to opportunities because it's something that employees really want, less companies are now offering it in a full way. So is that something you're seeing with attracting new talent? Absolutely. I remember when the conversation around returning to work, well, it feels like it happened in waves. It happened many times. But when we started to hear these big brands saying, you come to the office or you don't work here anymore, that was my exact thought is there are so many options for those people. You're going to lose them because there are so many brands that are remote first or at least are very flexible with where you can work. So I've, I've thought that was such an interesting approach for people. I'm sure they have really valid reasons. And I'm sure a lot of that is based on research and kind of that magic that's created when you're co-located. But we've really, I feel, found a way to get as close as possible to that, that chemistry. It can't be replicated. I'm not going to sit here and say that. The, the chemistry and kind of that spark of having people in a room together, it can't be completely replicated. But I feel like we have found the balance. We've found a way to get it as close as possible while giving people that flexibility that allows them to prioritize their health more than we could when we were all co-located. So I think it's a really interesting approach for those companies that have said, we want you all back in the office. Even the ones that have said, 
We want a hybrid schedule. We want, we want you in the office three days a week. I am very curious what outcomes they're seeing, how it's impacting productivity, how it's impacting employee retention, because there are so many awesome brands that are taking a different approach that are allowing employees to be fully remote or remote first that I think those employees who are in situations where their organization has said, you have to be here, they can go to one of those pretty easily. So I think that's a really interesting subject. It'll be interesting to be able to compare the data from the two and a half to three years that we were all pretty solidly remote to now this new phase where people are coming up with like enforcing people to be in the office and kind of see productivity, employee wellness, employee satisfaction, how it changes. Yeah, we need more data, right, to support some of this. And, you know, you're right in saying that it's not all sunshine and rainbows with remote work, right? There's less connection. There's clearly a stronger ability to build relationships and and connections in person. On the sim side, there's a lot of clear benefits for employees to remote work. Personally, I couldn't imagine going back to some sort of commute and sitting in traffic for before and after work and all of that. So you mentioned some of the initiatives like Friendsgiving as one example. What are some of the other kind of programs, initiatives that you run at Bloomerang that you've had some success with? Yeah, great question. In that same vein of Friendsgiving, of trying to get people connected and kind of out of their silos, we use a Slack application, a Slack integration, I should say, called Donut. And Donut randomly matches pairs of people on a certain cadence. We have our sets every two weeks to get together for like a 15 to 30 minute chat. It's not anything long or structured or official. It just runs every two weeks, matches two people. It's totally customizable. So if you wanted to do small groups or if a specific department wanted their different teams getting together, they could make it so that those people specifically are matched. But we have really high engagement with that initiative. So we've got people weekly getting together cross-departmentally to get to know one another. I think that really helps not being co-located, making sure that people are branching, like I said, out of their silos and getting to know people across the organization and building their networks. Obviously, we have Bright, which I love for many, many reasons. But I think of Bright as kind of twofold. There's the the wellness aspect, whether you're wanting to move your body, do a meditation. But the thing that makes Bright really unique is the connection piece, being able to see what your coworkers are doing, what breaks they're taking, being able to invite a coworker to a break that you're taking. I think that's huge for building connection and wellness in a remote environment. We also have a ton of culture events and engagement opportunities. So just last month, every October, we do something we called... It's officially called the Bloomerang House Cup, but it's more casually called Harry Potter Month. (laughs) And all month long, employees are in their Harry Potter houses and they have different challenges and they're winning points. And then someone wins the... uh, One of the houses wins the House Cup at the end of the month. That's a huge one we do. We just did a virtual Halloween costume contest in November. Obviously, we're doing Thanksgiving. We do trivia. We did drag bingo for Pride this year. We try to provide as many engagement opportunities to people as possible. Obviously, they're all voluntary. No one is required to attend these. But we try to create a lot of opportunities and diversify the opportunities to make sure that they're tailored to a lot of people's 
interests, a format they're comfortable with. Maybe they just want to show up, take a break from work, and then get back to it. Something like one of our Bloom U's, which is like our employee TED Talks, where employees can lead 15-minute talks on anything they're passionate about. That's perfect for that kind of person. Or we have things like trivia, where someone wants to be a part of a team and they want to engage and, and be active and talk with their coworkers. We also have opportunities like that. So that's kind of a broad overview. We have a full calendar of events every year that we map out a year ahead of time. And that's just a few of them. But those are the main ways that we're trying to get employees connecting and engaging to take away from a little bit of that isolation that naturally comes with being fully remote. Yeah, big connection theme there with a lot of the initiatives. And that's a lot. I mean, it sounds like there's tons of work being put into this, right? And how are you dividing and conquering that? Is, is there help on your side that is coming in to help with some of these events and things that you're putting on? Yeah, that's a great question. So whenever I talk about employee engagement, company culture, what makes ours, I think, really successful, I always talk about our culture committee and the importance and I think necessity of a culture committee. You don't have to call it a culture committee. I've been at companies where we called it a culture club. You can call it a culture advisory board, whatever you want. But I think it's essential to have a group of employees from all across the company, at least one representative from every department. We have two. We have two representatives from every department across the organization. We get together once a month. And these are the things that we work on. These are the things we talk about. We share feedback. You know, They're kind of the people team's ear when it comes to like, what's the feedback that event got? Did people like it? Did they not like it? Did it not work for their schedule because they're on phones during that time and they couldn't attend? Anything like that. We use the culture committee to discuss employee sentiment towards events we've done. What are things they want to see us do? And then they also help me plan and facilitate all of these things. So something like Harry Potter month that's so multifaceted. It's a month long. We have like five different events over the course of the month. I can't do that by myself. And so people from the committee raise a hand and say, I love Harry Potter trivia. Let me run that event. I love... We do a spelling bee where people have to spell like magical words. And we've got people who volunteer for that. I couldn't do it without them. And I wouldn't encourage anyone to try. I think that you've got to have a group of people who are representative of the makeup of the company so that they can give you an accurate idea of what employees want, what they're talking about, what they're asking for. And they also have to be willing to help. It's not a lot of time. Our meetings are 30 minutes to an hour once a month. And then if you do volunteer to help facilitate an event, it might be an hour a month on top of that. So it's not a heavy lift. But it has to be a group of people who are really invested in the culture and want to enhance it and make it better. So I would say that that culture committee is really my biggest partner when it comes to these initiatives. Yeah, that's amazing. And so for those listening in who are in HR or people and want to do this, how do they actually recruit these people? Like, is it just a kind of an email out or a message out to everyone? Is it handpicking people based on some of the things you talked about? How did you go about doing that? It's a great question. It's looked a little different at every company I've been with and at every stage of the company. So when we were really small, it was easier to kind of just put out an 
kind of an all call, like who's invested in the culture loves party planning. Let me know. I want to get some volunteers for this. But as we've grown, we've gotten a lot more intentional. We now actually partner with managers to choose culture committee members because we want to be sure a that they're on top of their work. This is they're not going to be paid for this. You know, their work on the culture committee obviously is secondary to their full-time job. So we want to make sure that the manager feels like this would be a good use of their time, that they've got the bandwidth and that they've got their actual job responsibilities locked down before we throw more on them. So we partner with managers to say, who has the time? Who do you think is a real representation of our culture on your team? Who on your team is invested in our culture, is consistently living out our company values and trying to make our culture better. And we go from there. Obviously, we're not going to force anyone to be on the committee who doesn't want to be. That would be completely ineffective. (laughs) They've got to want to do the work. So obviously, the manager would approach someone and say, is that something that you're genuinely interested in? But um, I think that taking that approach ensures that the people are going to be really committed. They're going to be a good fit. And we also try to make it as seamless and as easy of a lift as possible for them. And one of the ways we do that is by running in six-month terms. You only have to sit on the committee for six months. That's the commitment. If you want to roll off after that, we're totally supportive of that. We don't want people getting burnout. We also want to leave flexibility for someone to say, you know, six months ago, this was fine, but I've taken on more responsibilities. My role has expanded. I don't have time for this anymore. And we don't want people sitting on the committee because they feel obligated when they really don't have the bandwidth to be effective or the desire to be effective and helpful. So I think if I could go back, I would have done it that way from the start. So my suggestion to anyone who doesn't have something like this in place already is work with your HR business partners, work with your managers, get representation from every team and make sure that they're people who are already living out the values. I think you you can run the risk of people who are like, great, a place for me to take my complaints. (laughs) Obviously, like constructive criticism is totally welcome. But we want people who are interested in taking us in a really positive direction and being the force behind us moving in that positive direction. So I think working with managers to make sure that this is someone who has that disposition is really helpful. And I would go from there. Yeah, this is like gold advice, I think, because the two things that really stand out to me, one, engaging managers, even if they're not the right person for the wellness committee, at least they're engaged in helping find the right people which is going to get them more engaged in wellness in general, which is going to be better for the company and getting more engagement across the population. And then I really love the six-month idea because my brain will work like that at least, knowing that it's kind of a term, I'm going to give it my all. I know that there's kind of an end point to it versus something indefinite. I think that's a really smart idea. So well done. How are you going about measuring some of the things that you do? So how do you go back and say, listen, Friendsgiving is working or it's not? What does that look like? Is the culture committee involved? I'm guessing yes. Yeah, walk me through that. Yeah, that's a great question. So on the note of the culture committee, we do a postmortem from every single initiative that we put on. So whether it's Harry Potter month or Friendsgiving or trivia or what have you, 
we get together as a committee once that event is over to talk about what went well, what didn't go well, what feedback did we hear from people on our teams? What's kind of the buzz? Do we want to do it again? How would we iterate on it and make it better the next time? So we get a lot of value um, from those conversations. And it's a great way for me to gauge, did this go well? Did it flop? So that's kind of our informal way of gathering feedback on events. We also gather a lot of engagement metrics for engagement events. It's usually first and foremost going to be headcount, how many people attended. But then after that, we might also look at actual engagement rates. So that might look like, okay, 90 people joined the Slack channel for this event, but how many people were actually posting, responding to content, actually engaging In the event, we might look at those more minute metrics as well to get a feel of not just how many people kind of absentmindedly said, sure, I want to be a part of this, but how are they actually participating in the event? We've also done post-attendance surveys. You attended this event. What did you think? We keep it really short and sweet. We don't want to give people survey fatigue or overwhelm them, but just quick two questions did you enjoy this? Would you attend it again? Just something to quickly take the temperature of the people who were involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Simple, but pretty to the point looking at the data. I like the survey idea. You probably can't send out a 10 question survey. No one's going to do it. Make it really easy. People will do it. We've touched on the tools a little bit. So you mentioned Donut. Obviously you mentioned Bright Breaks. Is there any other tools that you lean on to help support some of this stuff, whether it's a culture committee or the actual initiatives themselves? Yeah. So on the note of surveying on top of here and there surveys, short, quick check-ins. We also have two large employee engagement surveys that we do every year. We do one in February and then we do one again in August. And that can be a really helpful tool for seeing how are these initiatives actually impacting employee sentiment. Um, We always include our ENPS and kind of true north metrics that will help us say, okay, in the first half of the year, we put on all of these initiatives and here's how we're scoring on this survey versus here's what we did in the second half of the year and here's how we're scoring on the February survey. So I think those are really important. One of those we do internally, we run it ourselves with like an internal surveying tool. And then one of those we actually compete in like a best places to work sort of survey. So that's really helpful for helping us gauge our impact when it comes to wellness initiatives and things like that. In terms of tools, I really, not to be redundant, but I really see the culture committee as my biggest tool. I think that they keep me honest and ensure that I'm designing opportunities that employees actually want to see and not just opportunities that I think sound fun or that I would want to attend. They open me up to a really diverse range of opinions and perspectives, even something as simple as last month when we did our postmortem on our Harry Potter month, someone was like, I don't know anything about Harry Potter. And it felt like much of the company was getting together like five times a month to do this thing that I would have felt kind of out of the loop and uncontrolled doing. How can we iterate on it in 2024 to make sure that it's more inclusive? As simple as that sounds, I was so wrapped up in all the positive feedback we were getting from it and what a success that it had been that I hadn't thought of that. And so I really think of the culture committee and those people as kind of my best tools when it comes to designing really effective opportunities that are going to promote employee wellness. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that answer. The number one tool is your committee and having the diverse set of voices from different departments, bring ideas to the table, give feedback, helps you catch your own blind spots, as you're saying, because you might have some built-in bias around something that you really love and it sounds great, but yeah. yeah so that's, I like that answer a lot and wasn't expecting it. What values that Bloomerang has do you think are impactful in helping create a good culture of wellness with the company? I think first and foremost is empathy. I love that empathy is one of our core values. I talk about it as much as possible because I think it's pretty unique. First and foremost, we want to be empathetic. We want to be empathetic to each other. We want to obviously be empathetic to our customers. So when it comes to employee wellness, I don't think you can truly prioritize your employees' wellness if you're not operating from a place of empathy. If you're not having genuine care and empathy for employees and what they're going through, you won't be able to provide them with the kind of experience that they need. You won't be able to meet them where they are and meet their needs. So I think that of all our values, I think empathy is really the one that we operate out of most when we're thinking about employee wellness, whether that means providing a flexible work schedule so employees can make time for exercise or spend more time with loved ones or actually providing perks and benefits that help them care for themselves physically, mentally, like Bright. I think for us, without that core value, I'm not sure that we would think about employee wellness and ascribe the importance to it that we do. Well said. This has been really awesome and I think going to be very helpful for those that are listening in. And I think it's been extremely tactical, which is great because I think that's what's going to be most helpful on these these podcasts. So I appreciate it. I guess in closing, Emily, what advice or recommendations would you have for other HR leaders, people leaders who are looking to you know start creating a culture of wellness with their workforce? We know the culture committee is probably a top piece of advice and I think that's great. Is there anything else you want to expand on with that or add anything to? Yeah, I think you're right. Not to belabor the point, but I'd say really first talk to your employees. I always say we can't give employees what they want if we don't know what they want. We shouldn't just be taking shots in the dark. Talk to them. Include questions about wellness in your engagement surveys. Create a culture committee or focus groups where you can learn where the gaps are and what people want to see from you, what they want to see you do and provide. And then after that, next, I'd say get buy-in from leadership. Get them to talk about the wellness initiatives at all hands meetings or talk about them with their departments. Get them to show up and participate if you can. I know that that's a huge barrier for a lot of people. I know that that's not easy, but there are ways. I think having, you know, whether you're on the people team, like an HR function, I think making sure that you have buy-in from your team lead so that they can then go to your executive leadership team and get buy-in from them is really important. Talk about it in a language they understand. Talk about how employee wellness improves retention, improves productivity, put it in terms of numbers and dollars and profitability. I think that that's completely legitimate and important. But I'd say, yeah, after hearing from your employees and understanding what they want, the next step is getting buy-in and support from leadership. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very well said. That's great. Great advice. This is great. Really enjoyed the chat. If anyone wants to kind of follow up with you, where could they find you? I'm on LinkedIn. So you can follow me on LinkedIn. I don't do social media outside of LinkedIn. So you can find me there. Would love to connect. Love it. Okay. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you everyone for listening in to another episode of the Virtual Vibe podcast. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Emily. Thanks, David. Thanks, David.